You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, have you ever wondered how I generate thousands of inbound leads per year using LinkedIn? Well, this episode is sponsored by my guide, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. This is the definitive guide on how to consistently generate inbound leads using LinkedIn and social selling. So if you want a copy of that guide, just send a text to 44222 with the word L-I guide, all one word, L-I guide to 44222, or you can go to my website at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. Her name is Rachel Brinke. She's a multifaceted entrepreneur, a lawyer, and an Ironman championship competitor. She's also the founder of several businesses, Fit Legally, The Law Tog, and Rachel Brinke. She also has a podcast called The Real Biz Podcast. And while doing that, she's the mother of five. So it sounds to me like she's pretty freaking busy. And I'm, I'm excited that you're here today. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, it's interesting because I don't want to spill the popcorn in the lobby, but we are going to, today we're going to talk about something really cool. And it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. And that is how to tap into and monetize your niche market. You hear a lot about riches are in the niches and you hear about all about that. We're going to kind of peel the onion back a little bit further. We're going to give you some stuff that's a little more tactical because Rachel's an expert in that. She's done it many, many times. You heard a few of the businesses that she's owned and started and built. But before we do that, give us a, give us a little bit of a backstory, kind of put a little context to this whole entrepreneurial journey. I mean, lawyer to entrepreneur, that's not a big stretch, but at the same time, tell us how that happened. Well, it's funny. Lawyer actually came at the end. And I always cringe when it's in my bio at the beginning because I'm like, oh, people are going to click away. They don't want to listen to another lawyer. I promise I'll try to make this fun. But I started my entrepreneurship journey back in, date myself a little bit, in like the MySpace days. We didn't have all this freemium content. And I just knew, especially about the time that I was diagnosed with cancer, I just knew that I didn't want to pad the pockets and dreams of some faceless corporation, just be a cog in the wheel. And plus, I was never cut out for sitting in the school seat. I always wanted to be out doing something myself. And so I dug in again. At the time, there was not a lot of information out there. And I started an online apparel business. I was trying to be home with our oldest son to do cancer treatments. And basically, boom, boom, went to school. I decided to add on law school to my repertoire of like MBA and other things, but helping other people start up their businesses. And I much enjoy it. I love it. And it gives me a lot of time for being able to do the real life things that I want to do. I love entrepreneurship. So you started, you became an entrepreneur after battling cancer. So you, you were diagnosed with cancer. You were staying home, you were getting treatment. And then you decided to open your business because you were going to stay home and take care of your family and do those sorts of things. Okay. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Kind of around, around the same time. It was, it was very, you know, everyone talks about having one of those like end of life type moments. It wasn't more like, it wasn't like the angels came down and told me this is what I need to do. It just kind of was like, okay, now I understand that pool I've had my whole life. I don't fit into that nine to five, that school type structure. Let's see what we can do with this. If you make it through. And I did. So here I am. 
I love it. And I'm happy you made it through. And I'm sure your family is too, as well as your customers and everybody that works for your businesses. So, okay. So tell us a little bit about your businesses now. What is Fit Legally? What is the Law Talk? And how does Rachel Branke brand fit into all that? Yeah. So I actually started out as Rachel Branke, the whole like me, right? The whole business consulting coaching before it was cool (laughs) to do, um, helping small businesses, helping other moms to be able to get to make money to either, you know, side hustle or to actually stay home, quit their nine to fives and so forth. And I realized after a couple of years of being on the outside and banging against this business shield, couldn't get through and couldn't really make a, make a sustainable, but I had to get very narrow in my messaging who, and we're in this little like tidbit, we're going to get into all of that, but really narrowing down and niching in all facets of business. And that's really where once I came out the other side of law school, the law talk fit legally were born because I found this big gap in the marketplace that there are entrepreneurs in very specific industries that need help, but they don't have someone that knows the industry and has also been in it. Like with fit legally, I'm also an athlete. So I understand all the nuances that are going to go on from the athlete's perspective. For the law talk, it's for photographers. I also did photography and still do sometimes in my business consulting as like an add-on service. So I understand all sides of it. I'm not some lawyer in an ivory tower telling people, this is the law, what you got to do. It's all wrapped in in uh, delivered to my clients of, hey, I'm a lawyer, this is the law, but I'm an entrepreneur. So here's all like the 10 reasons why we should do this and how we should do it. So it is best return on our time, money, and energy. Yeah. So I didn't really even put the put two and two together. Maybe that's my absence of mind here. But when you think about it, fit legally and the law talk both have law as mm-hmm. the fundamental component, even though they're niched out very differently and they're different target markets, probably different products and services and all that. So that's really interesting because what's great about that, I, I think we grabbed the right topic today, which is the fact that we're going to niche down based on some sort of expertise or some sort of product or service or something that the audience has. Okay. All right. With all that in mind, we got, I, I think we got a quite a bit to go over today. So why don't we do this? Rachel, help us break down this topic today of how to tap into and monetize your niche market. Like how you how did you do it? What was it that allowed you to see that success where so many others, even though they've picked a niche, they've uh, let's call it, they've had some major setbacks. Yeah, I feel like picking the niche is the easy part, but it's also the hardest in that you think you've picked the right one. And then like my story, I'm banging on the door, this invisible door of trying to get clients in the door, wondering why I'm not standing out. And you have to get so narrow and I'll walk through the formula in a second, but you have to get so narrow to the point that it's almost terrifying. In fact, I remember being at a lawyer function and this was years after I had set up everything. I was doing really well. And I had attorneys saying to me with their little, you know, they're like pity eyes. They're like, can we send you clients? Because they're thinking in, you know, the, the mainstream way of thinking is they have to try to serve everyone, do everything, be a general attorney and all of this. And I was like, no, can I send people to you? Because I'm like a year of a wait list right now. I, I have so many people, but it's because my goal after when nobody wanted me, I wanted everybody to think of me in very specific situations. And then once you're able to grab that attention, whether it's your product service, you know, your offering, your, your unique serving position, or who you're talking to, or a compilation of all of those, as soon as you become top of mind, that's when your trajectory growth is just quantum leap. It's just astronomical. And once I figured that out, 
I was able to really dig in and go really deep, like fishing. If you fish very deep in one area, you're going to get more fish. They start attract and starts growing. And, and that's just that's just the way that it's been for each of those. So each brand, though, I didn't set them all up at the same time. I worked really hard to get terrifyingly narrow in one industry, build that silo, and then I start terrifyingly narrow again in another one. And what I mean by terrifying is you start really getting that, oh my gosh, it's so narrow. Is anybody actually going to need this? And you'll be very surprised how you're much more top of mind when it's that specific and that narrow. Okay. So why don't we take this process that you have? And if if you want to relate it back to the process of how you niche down into one of these different businesses, like the law talk or fit legally, or however you want to position it, right? I mean, you went through this process, you've got a bit of a framework that we're going to share with the audience. So why don't you connect it back a little bit to your own business? And then I think it'll be even more concrete. Yeah. So within the story, you know, I was bringing out Rachel Brinke and I was offering because I'm an MBA, had set up a couple of online businesses, was offering business consulting, but it was like the cheesecake factory type menu, where it's like, it's like a phone book that they place in front of you of so many options. You're known for nothing. You're almost known for too much. And then the legal side, the exact same thing. And I was like, I got to do something here. And what I actually did was I shut up and I listened. And so many clients that I work with have the same thing. If they just shut up and listen to those around them, you will start hearing these undertones of where you need to go. So for example, with the law talk, there are not a lot of people that are a lawyer and photographer at the same time. And I just started keeping a running list of the top questions. And I realized instead of trying to offer at the time, trademark, copyright, contracts, employment law, um, you name it, all that sort of stuff. I only very specifically talked about contracts and I very specifically only talked about one type of contract. So I was very narrow on that. It was going to be a portrait photographer, not all these hundred different types. It was going to be a female portrait photographer, pretty much mirroring me, right? My age and gender and my life circumstances. And then I was like a very narrow that we're only going to talk about this one contract and I'm going to talk about it very well. And from doing that, people started calling me contracts queen, which I don't know where that came from, but I love it because I was setting myself up as an authority. And then just the domino effect from there, I was able to start adding on multiple contracts. We have like a hundred in the shop now for different genres and different functions that they have. Then from there, I could add on copyright and trademark. But if I had tried to be general for everything, sure, I probably could have penetrated. They'd have been like, oh, that's the lawyer for photographers, but getting very narrow that when there is, oh crap, I have a contract question. Who do I go to? They very specifically into because I didn't do contracts. I drilled down into one very specific type. Like I said, terrifyingly narrow because I know they needed all this. But that way, if they had a question on that very specific item, they knew who to come to. So, so the process is get super, super narrow, super, super niche, like you talked about, female photographers related back to the specific contract. And then once you get some footholding there, then you expand into some other very you know, related services based upon that avatar, right? Based upon kind of that. Okay, great. All right. So let's go through that process. Let's talk about that process a little bit. Let's get a little bit more in depth on how you can, you know, because you did a quick overview of how that worked, but can you pull it back one layer more so that they can kind of have maybe a a bit of a framework or a step on how they're going to go forward? Yeah. So oftentimes, you know, I just told you to be quiet and listen to your audience. I'm going to flip it on its head a little bit here. You do want to hear what the biggest pain points are or look around in the market and see the voids that are there that you can help fill. 
but you also have to stop and figure out what it is. And this is where my whole real business, real life, you know, embracing the entrepreneur lifestyle comes in. You needed to get very specific in what is it? What is this product or service is actually going to meet my needs? Okay. I could have put myself out there as an attorney and said, I am just going to all day long do one-on-one consultations. I'm going to become the very go-to person about this contract, but I'm only going to do it in the context of a one-to-one phone call. My time is finite. I have five kids. I compete with Team USA. I don't have time for that. As much as I love people, there's only a finite number of people that I can meet in a day. That was not going to meet the financial goals I had in order for myself to support a team. It wasn't going to provide me the physical freedom that I wanted to be able to travel and do things. So I had to think about how can I do this? And that is where the law talk came about. And we did it as like a contract template form. And, And this is not a foreign concept. We see so many people business coaches, any industries, all providing a specific product that's either digital or tangible that is right off the shelf, no customization to purchase. That product that I did, which I've had updates since, is my number one seller. The very first thing that I came out with, because I got so specific, got known for it, but it also provided me the trajectory growth that now there's flexibility. It's low cost investment of my time. I create it once. I update it every now and again. The bulk of my time is then not rendering the services. It is then being able to do the outreach of marketing on my time schedule and my financial input. Whereas if I was, you know, digging in and trying to select, because at the time, again, back to the example of shut up and listen to your audience. Well, the audience was asking me for one-to-one. They didn't really want one-to-one. They just had this preconception that attorneys only could do business one-to-one. So I had to take what they wanted and how what I imagine my real business structure to be and combine that. So what it ended up looking like was this contract template form, generally drafted for the United States. We still have the CYA disclaimer on everything. But then when they got into the portal, it would have videos of me that I only had to record once explaining. This isn't a foreign concept to a lot of people listening here. But where many people stop, they either don't get niched enough, like we talk about, they don't get terrifyingly niche, or they pick a product or service that's not sustainable for where they want to be. Or if they do pick it, they don't provide enough of this peripheral support to allow it to be long lasting. What I mean by that, like the videos and the support that I was just talking about, you can throw out an ebook, a contract template, a spreadsheet, anything you want. If you don't have the partnered tutorials and education around it to meet that request that the consumer was looking for, your very efficient time, you know, limited time investment product is not going to serve that end goal of what you need. Does that make sense? Like you can choose it. So choosing it is the hard part. You choose, you still need to offer the peripheral supports in order for it to be long lasting, to give you the time and space to do and add on other offerings later on. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Okay. So, so when we were talking before the, before the interview, you mentioned this whole concept of like a unique selling position. How did you approach that? with, you know, how does that fit into this process? I mean, you may, I mean, I know you touched on it a little bit, but how does it, how specifically does that fit in? Hey, let's a example. Lawyers, a lawyer is a lawyer, right? Doctors, the doctors, the doctors, so that so many people believe, but even like I said, in the introduction, I don't want to be known just for that. And that's my whole serving position and my whole unique position in the market is not just, not that I'm an attorney, Not just that I know the industry, any lawyer can do that, but that I have worked as the photographer, that I understand the questions you're going to get as a client. I've also been a client photographer, so I understand the questions that I would 
even more so. I know that as the entrepreneur, I don't want to be spending my time, money, and energy on cleaning up issues with lawyers later on because who's the only one that wins when there's issues? Lawyers, they make all the money. You're stressed out, not able to focus on your business. It's part of my unique serving position. This is part of what I was talking about, like these peripheral supports, whether it's an inside portal supporting your digital product or it's on your social media is connecting with the people to let them know, hey, I'm not just in an ivory tower spouting law at you, but I'm telling you to do X, Y, and Z in partnership with the legal stuff so that you can save time, money, and energy so you can stay focused on your business. And how I just said is exactly how I explain it to my clients too, because if I just said I'm a lawyer, okay, great, that's niched. If I say I'm a contract slayer, okay, I'm niched down a little bit. But if I niche down even further, and I even do this with my visual marketing assets, Click onto my Instagram. You're not going to see me in a suit. You're going to see me, probably can't see it in the video, but the nose the ring, you're going to see me with a coffee cup in my hand. Like I am not going to look like the typical attorney because I'm not attracting and I'm not going to be serving in the way that a typical attorney would. So when it comes to the unique serving position is not only the peripheral supports that I'm providing, but it's also who specifically, and this digs into the avatar as well, but it's more of the psyche of how can I uniquely serve and how can they uniquely, the consumers uniquely receive? Because really at the end of the day, sure, they need the contract, but that's not what they're buying into. They're buying into all this, everything else that is super niche and narrow. Okay. So with the law talk, you, you started with this contract, this fundamental contract, and you became the contract. What was it? The contract, contract queen. queen. The contract <laughs> queen. Okay. How did you expand from there? How did you add what, like, give us an example of what was the next product or what was the next offering that you were able to get some traction with within that same kind of niche? And one thing before we get into that, I want to kind of identify there's this big movement now where you have to create a method and a process or a system. And I'm not knocking that, but what I would suggest is maybe scale that back and start releasing the first step of that process, then the second. And that's kind of what I did with the contract. There is a contractual timeline. There's different places in your timeline as a photographer in different documents you'll use. So I started with the one at the very beginning of the story, the one that they absolutely have to have. And then I started adding on the next one and the next one. And we kind of did it once we, A, were listening to our audience, but also once we were we were fine-tuning our messaging because I didn't want to start adding on all these other products and confuse them. And sometimes now it can still be confusing, but I always reorient them back. We have like a tier one in the process, then tier two in the process and tier three. And we always reorient everyone, even now back to tier one. So once you start seeing requests where you just instinctively know, because in your mind, and this is something I struggle with, and I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs, we have so much we want to put out there. We really have to rein ourselves back. But if you just really intuitively listen and go, okay, now it's time to add product too. If you can seamlessly integrate already into very effective marketing with your audience, then you go for it. In fact, I would suggest probably testing it, right? Let's say you're coming out with that first contract. You get a very good audience base. Before you even publicly put it out there, sell to those existing people. Sell to those that have already purchased previously. One, they're more likely to buy again. But two, you'll be able to see by their questions, their purchasing behavior, whether or not that the market is ready or if you've done the effective job to move on to next product or service offering. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that, I think that makes total sense. You know, once you sell it to an audience and they're happy, first gather, continue to listen because they may have other needs and that's how you'll help develop that 
that next offering. But secondly, go, go back to them and give them what they asked for. And then ultimately, that's going to be the real test is whether they're willing to pull their credit card out and invest hard money into it because everybody will say, yeah, I want it. But until the rubber hits the road with asking them to commit, that's the real test. I'm also a huge fan of selling it before you make it and like pre-selling. I'm a huge fan of that because you can, there are things, oh my gosh, Dennis, there are things that I'm like, oh, the audience is going to love this. Here's my intuition. They need this. And it flops. And then last year we did like a swipe copy for COVID. Like, how do you respond to your clients? And I was like, oh, no one's going to want that. They can write their own. And it went gangbusters. So even sometimes like we can, we got to get out of our own way and just test it pre-sell it. You know, you got to think about it, but pre-sell it before you make it is so huge, especially if you're doing a digital product or if it's even a service, it could even be a physical product. You know, this day and age with the internet, there's really no reason that you should not be able to do that no matter what industry that you're in. Yeah. I love the pre-sell. I absolutely love it because if you were to sit down and think that you knew everything that, that that target market needed inside of that course, and you think that you've got it nailed and you think that everybody in their brother and sister and cousin is going to want to buy this. And then you spend four or five months putting it all together and all that sweat, tears, and and pain. And then you launch it to crickets. Guess what? You just lost all that time and energy. Whereas if you did it in reverse and just went out and made the offer and you hear crickets, well, then guess what? You either got to change the offer or you got to go to another, you know, you got to change the pitch or change the offer completely. So no, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that as well. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's really important that people understand. You don't need to have a fully developed product before you make an offer, right? And But people are so scared of that. They're so afraid. They're like, what do you mean? I'm going to take people's money and I don't even have the product ready? Yes. That's yes. You're you going to, yeah, just set the expectations that you're going to launch this in a week or two or three weeks or whatever the period is and get in and have your ducks in a row. And then you're going to maybe even deliver it live or you'll have the time frame that you need to do it. So I love that. Or they're even scared to ask for feedback. And there's so many entrepreneurs, because I was one of them, I'm raising my hand if you can't see me, that I'm getting excited here, that they'll go, oh, I asked for feedback. I'm like, but do you really? Like, really, what are the, like, when are you timing for that feedback request? Who are you asking? Like, say on the first product, right? Are you really crafting the questions in a way that you're going to get authentic, honest answer that's going to help you improve and grow? So many times clients will come and go, yeah, I asked for testimonials and it's like, say something nice about us. Well, that's not inviting or leading them to actually give a, you know, criticism. Sit back and even look at these large hotel chains and restaurants. They send you surveys. Start looking at how the questions are phrased. Yes, it sucks hearing that your product was not good for someone. But you know what? After you do it for so many years, you're able to parse out just the just the unhappy people in the world and those that truly are able to give you good feedback. But the only way that you can get there and really know if it's time to start expanding, you know, you're at that terrifyingly narrow niche when it's time to start adding more products. And even with the law talk, I talk very narrowly, just one set of portrait photographer, female type. We've now broadened the scope, but it's because I shut up and I listened to the audience and asked the tough questions. I had to grow a thick skin in the process, but then I knew when it was time based on what not only what they were asking for, but the feedback that they were giving on previous products or services. Love it. Well, listen, is there anything else you want to add? We've got a couple more rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap it up for today. But how would you like to wrap it up or what would you what would you like to add to that? Because I know we gave a lot of information and people, this is coming out really fast. Hopefully you're going to maybe listen to this again. And, and I'm sure that Rachel has some you know information online talking about this because this is kind of her sweet spot. So 
How would you like to wrap this up before I go into a couple of rapid fire questions? I think the biggest thing is whether it's your your serving position, your avatar, or your product or service, if you think it's too narrow, you're not narrow enough. It has to be like terrifyingly. And I've said that multiple times because that is the key. You can't sit here and just play in the shallow end. You've got to get down into the deep end. And I'm telling you, the trajectory is going to be so much quicker so long as you stick with it, consistency, but you've got to get terrifyingly narrow and just stay on top of like a lot of what we talked about is really a regurgitation of the checklist that we use even now, 15, 16 years later. Anytime we're going to release a new product, service, or brand, we go through all of these steps again. Love it. All right. Listen, a couple rapid fire questions and I'll let you go. I know you're busy. What's your favorite growth tool or SaaS product or app or something that you use? And I know being a digital entrepreneur, you probably have tons of tools, but what's your favorite if you had to pick one? Monday.com. That's project management, right? Yep. Absolutely. Checklist. We use it for onboarding, offboarding of clients, employees, and checklist processes, like a process street almost. We KPI is everything. We track everything in Monday, except for money. Yeah. (laughs) Except for money. Yeah. Love it. All right. And what would be one book that you've read that maybe helped you on your journey or something that you think might help them on theirs? I know you've got a bunch of books of your own, but what would be one of the books that you didn't write? One of the seven you didn't write? Two, it's the same author, uh, Dr. Richard Caldini, Persuasion and Influence. And I was just reading Persuasion before I came on with you. I reread it. I reread those over and over. It's like business Bible, honestly. Highlights no matter what industry and what you're doing, even if you're not an entrepreneur, it's a wonderful book just for interpersonal relationships and communication. Love it, Rachel. That's perfect. Listen, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about your different, well, whether it be Rachel Brenke or the Law Talk or Fit Legally or any of those businesses. And then uh, we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah. RachelBranke.com. All the socials are also Rachel Branke. I do all my own social media. So feel free to reach out. More than happy to talk about anything from today or just in general for business because I love it. Can't tell. And I want it for you guys too. Perfect. Listen, I'll make sure I put all those links in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for being here. Congrats on all your success. And I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.